Welcome to Get Fresh with Michelle Gerasoli, a podcast that gives you fresh ideas for living your best life. Enjoy our conversations that center on the acronym FRESH. F is for food, R is for recreation, E is for experiences, S is for our sponsors, and every episode closes with an H, a happy story or memory. I hope you enjoy this little break in your day, listening to how others are living fresh, and I'd love to hear your ideas. Reach out through my website, freshrebellion.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode with Tom Berlatt. Tom is a local storyteller, author, a former rainbow salesman, which we have to hear about, and a self-proclaimed from his website, old guy with time on his hands. <laughs> so he's uh, writing stories. And today we're going to talk about a few of them. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for being on Get Fresh. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Nice to be here. <laughs> Great. Well, last episode with a guest, we went to France. And I think today we are traveling to Russia. So our first food category is going to be Russian, as I understand it. Well, I I made a list of different things and they were all connected. I decided to connect them in such a way that they have to do with going places. And so a little bit later, we're talking some more about Russia. And so I started with homemade borscht in Novgorod. What is that? I think of potatoes for some it's a, reason. It's a stew. It's a soupy. It's a stew, really. Okay. Um, with beets, lots of beets in it, red beets and so on. But a typical classic Russian dish. Uh, a number of years ago, I was I had the opportunity to, to visit Russia. Uh, and we got away from the main port in St. Petersburg, took a side trip down to Novgorod, which was the historic uh, center, or one of the historic centers of Russian history, numerous Russian churches with the, you know, onion domes and things like that. Right. And got to eat some homemade borscht. (laughs) So it was a a wonderful experience. Have you made it since you've been back? No. I think that could be a potential uh, fun experience to be, you know, exploring the cuisine, right? I think so. Of course. We just made for our banquet fundraiser. Um, it was a, what is it called? Carpaccio with this with steak, but instead of beef, we use beets. So it was roasted beets and blue cheese and walnuts. And it was like balled up and sat on lettuce. Like it was this fancy. <laughs> Sounds good. It was delicious. Yeah. So the borscht and the second word was what? Was it? a? am still trying to understand what it, it is. It was the city name. It was the city name. Oh, having that in the city. I understand. Okay. <laughs> borscht was and just, it was the where. Got it. Got it. All right. And what else is in this beet stew? Oh my goodness. I'm not sure. It just tasted good. It was it just tasted, it tasted good, of course. Uh, and a lot has to do with the settings. And that's when I thought about coming on today. I made a list of just different places and different things that I've had uh, and their locales because I, from my experience, oftentimes the food is average, but the setting makes it seem like it tastes a lot better than it right. might than it might be. 
Right. So uh, I saw know, a I friend just, of mine had a post. She had traveled to Italy and she said, it's the best pizza I've ever had. I'm like, is it because it was good pizza or because she was in Italy eating pizza? <laughs> I have several examples of things like that for today. For, you know, for instance, I talk about searching for the perfect or eating escargot in France, overlooking the Normandy cliffs. Yeah. I can't really remember how good the escargot was. <laughs> they were good. Uh, but the view was spectacular. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, just an average day on vacation is good when it's an exploration, you know, and then you, you're you kind of out of your normal routine. So everything seems amplified, including the food and the drink that you consume. And then that makes it memorable. You know, the, the beef stew I had in Dublin, or I'm heading up to Maine Bar Harbor this weekend, and I'll have lobster rolls. It's like, don't you go to those places for those things. It's part of the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Tell me some more. Uh, well, I, add, I added one that I think everybody can identify with. I added having my uh, Thanksgiving turkey at my grandparents' house. Of course. Yeah. So that's one I think it's just a special. I can smell it. I can remember picking, you know, using the baster to baste the turkey. My grandmother would roll it out of this, the oven there. Um, so those are good memories. And I can taste the turkey and all the fixings that went with it. Things like that. That um, brings you right back to that emotion of being with the family, people you love, right? Right. Yeah. I had the opportunity to try a special tasting, seven different teas in, in Bali. So that was a very unique experience. Just tea, no food accompaniment. Well, they give you little snacks, but it had to do with more of the beverage than it did with the food itself. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite one out of this? Another, another wonderful experience. Well, there's one that they make. Oh, I can't even remember. But it, it bases, basically it's, uh, uses um, beans that or stuff that pass through the intestines of a local animal. Jeez. <laughs> it's okay. supposed to be super special, very expensive. <laughs> Poor thing. I, I wish I could remember that. Production line, right? <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Uh, so they, I'm not even going to go down that no, road. No, that's okay. We don't have to. <laughs> Interesting. Then, then, there was, then, then there was the time I, I stopped traveling cross country with uh, my roommate. He had family, lived on a farm in, in Nebraska. And going out and just harvesting the, your own corn and coming back and cooking the corn oh. and having it be super sweet and delicious, you know, little butter, salt and pepper. Picture. So things like that. They're, those are memories of food and places and time yeah. that were just uh, special. Yeah, really. It's um, you can tell the stories about food and, and just the memories come right back um, to those times and places. So very cool. Very good. Thanks for pointing that out. Let's keep talking about travel in your recreation section of our podcast. You have some travel stories, as I understand it. I've enjoyed traveling ever since I was little. You know, one of those we would, um, my family, my parents would take us camping. I grew up on Long Island, but a big trip was to drive all the way to Burlingame State Park in Rhode Island <laughs> and, and camp there you know, where we would, you know, I would uh, count the, the different state license plates and things like that. But camping, riding on the, the old inner tube, the black inner tube, floating on the, the, the lake there at Burlingame Park and other places bring back good memories. You know, going on a ski trip with my children, you know, when they were, they were younger, 
traveling up, you know, in basically in, in New England. And you were in the Navy, right? So that must have brought you to a whole world of places. There, yes, there were some very memorable times with the Navy. I was uh, one voyage in particular up until this point in time. So the saying goes, I can't really prove it one way or the other. We were heading off up to cross the Arctic Circle off the west coast of Norway, but simply for the purpose of saying that we crossed the Arctic Circle. It was a training, right? It was a training voyage. And at that particular point in time, however, we were in one of the worst storms in the history of the North Sea. Even guys who'd been in the Navy for 25, 30 years uh, got ill. Most of us that felt pretty miserable literally strapped ourselves into our bunks. And then when we got back to port in Portsmouth, England, we had to wash the walls, the bulkheads, because the ship rolled so much that when you walked down the the hallway you were one foot was on the wall and one foot was on the the deck and so they got pretty messy so that was a one wild ride that i remember very well and you've stepped foot on a ship since i might never after that experience (laughs) i have i've done i you know certainly more ships in the navy and then i've 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 been sailing on three different square rig ships uh, including my time now as a volunteer working at Mystic Seaport Museum. I've sailed on the Charles W. Morgan. We took that ship sailing in 2014 for the first time since 1921. Wow. That, that was exciting. So, yes, I've been on ships. I've gone on cruises. I've, I've actually enjoyed cruising. Uh, had a lot of fun. Not quite like being in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> a little fancy. Not at all, for that matter. I remember one trip um, that we took on a cruise that uh, I think it was our 10th anniversary. We we wanted to do Boston to Bermuda, but there had been a hurricane. So they sent us out of Philadelphia and it was still really choppy in that boat. I'm, I, I grew up on boats, so I was pretty comfortable at sea, but that boat was just rolling and that is not fun. I, I, I don't think I've been on a cruise ship since, so I've got to... <laughs> I get my brave girl pants on and go back and take another cruise. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, you know things have people are a little bit leery now, given since COVID and whatnot. Right. But I think I would go again. I think I would enjoy it. So yeah. I, I do like to travel, and I like I like I'm a I'm a sports fan. I like different sports. I've played different sports. Once upon a time, I was halfway accomplished at tennis. Lived in South Carolina a number of years ago and got. Fairly good playing tennis. Have you played pickleball yet? I have not. New I, rage. It's. I think my knees and my hips may may not enjoy it <laughs> as much as as my head might. It is a workout. I went there expecting it to be like um, like badminton, like you know, not, you're not really putting it all out as you would if you were playing tennis. And I I was a volleyball player, so I just want to hit everything hard. <laughs> and you have to you have to have speed and finesse if you're going to be a good pickleball player. So I was no doubt. Speaking of badminton, my youngest son Dan uh, and I have been playing badminton with each other since he was single digits. And, you know, early, quite early. And whenever we get together, we have badminton. Of course, it's been about 10 or 15 years now since I've been able to beat him. Ah. Uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, we still have a good time ah. playing badminton. We, we, play, we play cutthroat badminton. <laughs> 
Well, you might want to challenge him to pickleball because that might be a new experience. <laughs> Um, so when we were planning this podcast, you told me, uh, we, we talk about on the Fresh podcast, we talk about road trips quite often. So you had a memorable road trip you wanted to share. I think I was talking about the trip that I took to um, with my college roommate. Oh, okay. uh, it, start, it started initially, I was hitchhiking from my home on Long Island <laughs> and had a very interesting experience at the beginning of it. Uh, it took me about 15 hours. If you had just driven, it would have taken three, but it took me about 15 hours to hitchhike from Long Island through the South Bronx, over those bridges, to get to the Delaware Water Gap on the border between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, it took forever to get there. So it was it was late, it was dark. I walked across the bridge, which you can do. There's a pedestrian walkway across the Delaware River there. And out of a, some sense of just wanting someone to know where I was, I told a toll booth operator that I was going to walk up the hill next to the booth there into the woods and go to sleep which I did. And then I got up, you know, as soon as it was light, I'm up and I'm back down at the bottom of the hill. And I had been carrying quite a large sign, uh, a sign that said Chicago, because that's where I was heading to meet my roommate. And the first car through, and I was standing next to the road there, you couldn't miss me. Um, first car through was an old Citroen, mid-1950s, one of those low slingback cars uh, from the 1950s. And he stopped. He pulled over. So I go up to the passenger side and he has to lean over, you know, hand crank the window down because <laughs> I wasn't going to walk around to the busy side. And he said, well, where are you going? So my first response was, well, if you can't read my sign, I'll wait for the next ride. Thank you very much. He said, no, come on, come on let's get in. I'm, I'm going to Denver. Wow. So it took me 15 hours and umpteen rides to go for a three hour trip the first day. And he was going all the way to Denver. He took so you. So this is fantastic. Wow. So we get in 10 minutes down the road. He says, look, I picked, do you have a driver's license? I said, yes. He said, look, the only reason I stopped to pick you up is I am exhausted. I've been driving 24 hours nonstop from Newfoundland, which, of course, he had to take a ferry and whatever else. Yeah. And I can't, I can't drive anymore. Hmm. So not wanting to drive with a sleepy driver, I was... Sure, I'll drive. So I got on. He says, look, I am so exhausted. I am a really heavy sleeper. Here's my wallet. He puts his wallet out in between us, you know, and says, if you need gas, stop, get gas. If you're hungry and want lunch, stop by lunch. Just keep going. Just don't wake him up. Wow. So don't wake him up. So, yeah. so I didn't wake him up. Yeah. And we're driving. Ten hours later, wow. I'm still driving. And I had stopped, bought gas, ate food. He was sound asleep. His head against the window on the passenger side, not moving. Can you imagine and, in today's world doing that? And so, but and as, we're getting <laughs> as we're getting close to Chicago, it's torrential pouring rain. And now my where I was going was the northwest suburbs. I wasn't going straight to Denver. After driving 10 hours, I was not going to stop and put right. myself out on the side of the road in this torrential, torrential storm. Right. So I went on, I, dro I drove to my roommate's house, got out, parked the car. He was still asleep. I left the keys there on the dash. I went inside. A half hour later, we said, we better check on him. Invite him in. We were going to invite him in to eat. He's gone. The car is gone. Never oh, saw him again. I thought you were going to say he died. Oh, that's No, better. he was gone. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't gone in that way. 
he had driven away. <laughs> Can you imagine if he had though? Wow. But he woke up. Crazy. Think about it. He had no idea where he was. He yeah, didn't well, come he... knock on the door. Uh, so anyway, that, that's, that's he remembered. Started. Right. Because that was before the days of GPS where you could just pull up your location on your phone. You just, all he had, all he had was maps, paper maps. What an adventure. Imagine that. So, that was <laughs> kind of fun. We went on to have a great trip to California and drove back. It was the summer of 1972 when uh, the Eagles had just come out with the song Take It Easy. So naturally, we stopped on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Right. Uh, such As fine sights does. to see that we were. Uh, and, <laughs> one of my favorite songs. That's yeah, great. We had a good trip. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I love road trips. I'm going to drive this week to Bar Harbor, Maine, um, which I've gone once a year since I was nine years old when my godmother, my mom's sister, moved up there. I visit aunts and uncles and cousins. So it's nice to have a destination where you know people, but it's really just nice to explore. It's You meet people along the way that you'd never meet. Sue's family, my wife's family is from down East Maine. We are up there regularly. We're heading up next month yeah. ourselves in September. We go to Blue Hill, if you know where Blue Hill is. Yeah, my cousin lives in Blue yeah. Hill. With Sue's, Sue's cousin lives there as well. Yeah, So we'll be there. Beautiful uh, part of the country. It really is. Looking forward Never to it. Crossed over to Nova Scotia, though. That's on my list. I've got to get over there, Newfoundland, and it's nice. Yeah. I haven't gone. I would really got, love to go all the way out to Cape Breton. I have not done that. We we were on our way there. I was probably eight or nine years old and my brother had a seizure in the car <laughs> we had to turn around and go back so we never, no, we never went back. you needed to stop sure he was okay he made it through <laughs> okay moving on this is the the big section the reason that i wanted to have you on today because i'm so excited about your first novel the experience of writing a book is uh our next category so let's dive into that a little bit i've had i've been writing for years, since I was young, I did all kinds of writing. I would write little stories. Of course, you you write for school, you write for college. I did a lot of nonfiction writing when I worked at uh, URI you know, and things like that. However, I've uh, also had this particular story that I wrote this novel about is one that I've known for a long time and I wanted to share. But before I got to it, you know, people ask me, you know, what made you write? How did you figure out writing? I've been in a writing group for many years at the Neighborhood Guild in South Kingstown, uh, writers group there, a uh, special bunch of people. They really motivated, motivated me a lot. But before I wrote the story that I wanted to write, I wanted to see if I could write a novel. So I already did write one. I have a, a second one that I just haven't published yet. Oh, okay. but now that I've had so much fun with this one, I, I think God, I may work on that again and get see if I can't get that out there. Nice. So. Um, there's a story. I, I grew up knowing a woman that we called Aunt Helen, who is my grandfather's second wife. My grandmother passed away when my father was in high school, so I never knew her. Um, but Helen, Helen grew up, um, most of her growing up, she's Russian. She's a, a, from a white Russian, white Russian, meaning those that weren't the communists. In, in essence, they, they some of them still supported the, the czar, others didn't. They just were not necessarily the, the Chinese, the Russian communists. They weren't the Soviets. They were the people that got banished oftentimes to Siberia and, and sent away. Uh, and Helen grew up in a, in a family of white Russians. Uh, in the story, they, they begin in Western Russia and the family moves. Her name I use in the story is Ekaterina, which is the name of the novel, Ekaterina. 
And it's a fascinating story. Helen did most of her growing up in Harbin, China, mm -hmm. uh, and where which the Japanese invaded, of course, which is Harbin is in the middle, in the center of uh, Manchuria. Uh, she had a number of adventures there. And then she moved on. The family moved to Shanghai, trying to get away from the, the Japanese. But of course, the Japanese moved to Shanghai. She has a number of, of um, love interests in her life. Uh, she finds herself uh, at the beginning of World War II, stranded in Manila in the Philippines. She spends the, the war years in the Philippines. It's sent hiding in a hole in the ground in the jungle for the most part. Uh, meets a young man who was my grandfather, who was a young widower. Mm -hmm. And uh, they hit it off. And then they ultimately come to the United States. And she has more adventures here. Wow. So what a life. As, it was a remarkable life, and it can, those adventures continue here in the United States in the story itself. Uh, so as I got older, and I, I got to know Helen more, and uh, my wife and I and my family, we lived down south for over six years. Helen, um, for my entire adult life, lived in um, Atlanta, so I got to see her more often. And as I was as an adult, she shared some adult level stories with me. And I kept going every time I heard one, I go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is a great story. Yeah. Uh, a number of years ago, I did a lot of oral storytelling. I still do on occasion. And my friends in that community said I really needed to put together an epic story, a two hour oral tale with an intermission in the middle and so on. And I worked on that for a while, trying to see if I could do it. But it was I, th I had so much stuff. I thought I had too much stuff. So meaning so then, of course, to perform that live, like a theater production? Yes, yes. Yeah, correct. okay. Interesting, yeah. But then the fun part also when I do some stories, particularly those that have an ethnic flair, is you like to do a little bit of accents and so on. And I said, no, I, I'm not, <laughs> it wasn't good enough well, for my own. It may have been a good story that I could have told in my regular voice. Yeah. But when I did some of those, particularly ones I can do well with a Spanish accent flair to it, I like to add that. Nonetheless, I said no. And of course, all my friends in the writing community said, write it. Just write the book. Right. So be a screenplay. So I did. And they've all told me that as, as well. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm, I've had some nice reviews. One of the more recent ones that said, you know, I'm waiting for the movie. Yeah, the birth is, of an idea, but, right? <laughs> so, but you know, it's so far fetched, and the competition is is mind boggling. Yeah. Nonetheless, right, right. right. I would take, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't set a schedule for my writing. People ask me how did I go about it. I had a quasi schedule, but if I got a call from a friend said, "Hey, Tom, let's go. I don't play golf." I said, "Okay, let's go," and I would, I would do that. Yeah. Um, the, it the, took me about three lifetime for her to live through. It didn't need to, you, you know, to be rushed. You could, <laughs> you could take your time with it. But I did, I did want to finish it. No, knowing that I wrote the first book that I had the stick to itiveness to finish. So when I finally put my mind to it, it took me about three years. And that was after I retired from full-time work. Right. Right. Uh, to do it. Labor uh, of love. So, so is Helen still alive? No, we lost Helen about 20 years ago. Oh, okay. At the beginning, yeah, she was 84 when she passed, maybe 86. I lose track. Uh, she was born in the middle. She was much younger, noticeably younger than my grandfather, um, which caused some angst with 
his siblings and my natural grandmother's family also uh, a lot, which shows up in the book more than angst, I will tell you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, but nonetheless, she was born in the middle of world war one and okay. she died um, just a 2000, 2001, right in there. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I can't wait to read it. I think it's beautiful that you captured her stories that they won't be lost. You know, they're, they're in your book and, and to be shared. So I didn't, yeah, it's a novel because I did not know enough to make it a, a biography of right. nonfiction. Um, it's funny. My, my father's still alive and my, my mother. And it's like, remember that this is fiction. Yeah, <laughs> I had to fill in. I had to fill in some gaps. <laughs> that, that takes the pressure off too, right? That's uh, you they, know. well. Yeah, my parents have both enjoyed it. They like it a lot. So nice. I, I, maybe they're just saying that, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, the book is called Ekaterina. Yes, and, uh, you can find it on Amazon uh, and in a few local bookstores. You had it published by uh, my friend Stephen Porter at Stillwater Books. Yes, I did. It's a great experience working with someone who knows what they're doing to to publish. Like the writing is an is enough work. So to know that's, someone who knows that industry is such a that's big how thing. I felt. I said I don't. I, you know, I'm not. You know who knows what's going to happen down the road. But it's not my intent to make a career writing. My career is not at this point. You yeah. just never know. Uh, but uh, you know what may hit it off. Nonetheless, I didn't want to mess with all the trivia necessary to to get the book out and. Steve and his, his uh, team there at Stillwater River Publications were uh, a big help. Yeah, great, great. Good plug for those guys. Um, and they are they have the bookstore in Pawtucket that is moving, as I understand it, to West Warwick. So there'll be there'll be books all over the place. That's a that's a job moving books, I can imagine. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. I you know, I've been inside there, plus he has the big storeroom attached. Lots of books to move. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, let's uh, let's take a break here and we'll talk about our sponsors for this episode. The sponsor for today's episode is Beneficent Banquets. Let's break that down. Beneficent means generous or doing good. Banquet is an elaborate and formal meal for many people. Beneficent Banquet is a, a quarterly fundraising series that enables the Kingston Congregational Church, where I attend, to put on community meals for people in the community who might need food or they might need company. They might need something uplifting. It's a great way for the church to reach out to the community and, and provide kind of an extravagant welcome on behalf of the church. But the money has to come from somewhere for those. So we came up with the concept of the Beneficent Banquet. And what it is, we work with a local chef to create a dinner where 12 people come together, learn how to cook, maybe learn some new techniques, something they've never made before. Definitely, it's a fun night of being with friends and meeting new people. And then they sit down together and eat the meal that they just cooked. And they share that meal and conversation. And it's and they know they're all have this in common that they are doing a really good thing for the community. We have done two of them. We did an Indonesian menu in 2021, and that led to a Friendsgiving dinner for almost 120 people for free. 
And then the second one was in the spring and we, we worked with a local chef from a golf course to create a Mediterranean menu, which was so fresh and delicious. And now the next two are going to be coastal New England. And we're going to keep doing them with different chefs. We have a chef from the Coastal Cabin in Narragansett, Rhode Island. And we, we have Chef Jack from Captain Jack's in the fall. He's over in Matunic, Rhode Island. So we're really drawing on some local favorites to come in and create a really neat experience. So I tell you this because some of you are in this area and you might be interested in joining us for an upcoming Beneficent Banquet. But others might not be nearby and and they might be interested in doing good in the community. And I am more than happy to share kind of the model that we've created for this. We're really proud of it. And we are, have fed over 100 people in our community, actually over 220 people as of last night and growing. So definitely check out kingkongchurch.org for the next banquet or free community dinner on the calendar. And uh, let me know if you want to come. Thank you for being our sponsor tonight, Beneficent Banquets. And we're back to the Get Fresh podcast with Tom Brillat. Um, and it's always the happy ending. It's always kind of sad to close a conversation, but I always look forward to bringing a smile. What is your happiness moment that you'd like to share? Certainly at this point now, um, Sue and I were lucky to have a grandchild we didn't think we were going to have. And so... My happiest times is just uh, watching him grow, watching him smile, watching him enjoy life, oh, getting the opportunity. Yeah. The, the, the rare occasions we can get together are very special. So that tops the list. Yeah. How old is your grandson? He's going to be eight here in a couple of weeks. Uh, so such a great age. It, it, it oh. kind of flies by. Yeah, it does. I remember um, when my husband and I bought our first house. We were not even married yet. We bought the house before we got married. And my my mother-in-law is walking through the house, you know, with us. And she walks into the second bedroom. She's like, oh, this is the baby's room. And I remember being like 25 and not ready to have kids. And I was like, what? No, like this is a guest room. And now <laughs> I understand having had kids that are off to college, like, oh, the joy of a new baby, a grand grand grandparenting. I'm I'm looking forward to that phase. I'm not rushing it to be clear. No, it'll, you know, and you have by the way, you have no control over that, by the way. <laughs> that That's true. what we kept telling ourselves, you know, if it happens, fine. If it uh, yeah, so yeah, no, no control. But so we have this wonderful uh Grandson uh, named Gilbert, named after his great grandfather. My son and and my his grandfather were very close. Nice. So it's a family name that they're they're continuing. That's beautiful. And um, what do you what do you have fun doing with Gilbert? I'm sure you can tell him a good story or two. <laughs> oh my goodness, Gilbert is he uh, is one lucky young man. His parents do very well. Um. And he gets to travel a lot. So we can talk about traveling. Nice. He knows geography, world geography, better than any other soon-to-be eight-year-old, I think, that I know, and probably better than many adults I know. Oh, shared so passion. We we talk about that. Um, he, you know, he likes to um, play different games. He loves to go hiking. Yeah. Uh, which is very nice. That's I think that's a, a nice thing to do. He likes to explore where he is. Funny, he's been all around the world. He's only eight years old. 
Um, but his with his upcoming birthday with my my uh he was asked, Well, Gilbert, what do you want to do for your birthday? So he they live in central Pennsylvania. Um, and he says, Well, I want to go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> okay. This is a young man who, like I said, has been all over. But he wanted to go to Pittsburgh. Apparently, there is a funicular there that goes up the cliffs across the river. Um, and I know that funicular, as a matter of fact. Okay. So he wants to go ride the funicular in Pittsburgh. You'll have to take him to Burlingame <laughs> and relive your youth, <laughs> your childhood camping trips. Exactly. <laughs> well, very good. Enjoy that. And um, thanks for being on today. I'm, uh, I was... Michelle, thank you for having me very much. I've enjoyed it immensely. It's been a Pleasure lot of fun. To have you. Yeah. So you can find Tom at TomBerlot.com and I'll put links to that and to the Amazon um, book in the show notes. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. I will uh, I will definitely give a review once I have completed the book because well, that's a, take your time. I know I know how busy you stay. So that, that's, <laughs> okay. that's it's fun. good. It's good downtime to sink into a, a, a historical fiction. So very nice. Thank you for writing it. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed the Get Fresh podcast. If you liked it, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please find us online at freshrebellion.com. You can get our links to social media there. Join our Facebook group, Fresh From Rhode Island. And find me on Instagram, Sassy Michelle G, and Twitter, Sassy Michelle. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>